Well, the、uh, metaphor that God continues to put on my heart through this Advent season is that we are waiting for, for Christmas, like a child waiting for Christmas. I. What do you really call, call a really close metaphor? One that isn't really that different from the thing it's referencing? The python struck like a viper, like it's two snakes.、Um, but that's the metaphor I keep coming back to, because it is a, such a clear, strong image. Something that I can relate to, I can feel, I can close my eyes and imagine the anticipation of a child waiting on Christmas, and that I think. Is a very, very relatable way of understanding how it is that we are waiting for Jesus to come into our lives, for Christ's kingdom to come into this world, for Christmas. We started off the first week talking about frustration, the frustration we feel with the world as it is, with our lives as they are, and how that frustration, far from being an, an evil thing. Is itself an indicator of just how much we wish for, just how much we anticipate our hopes. Last week with Grace and Hugo, they taught us something about the beauty to be found even in hard, difficult places. The smiles, the joy of children playing on the streets of slums. How all of our impatience for this world to change. Belies the fact that there is still so much joy being poured out, coming from people who we never would have expected to show it. Today, the third Sunday, Mary's Sunday. Did you know that's why the third Advent candle is pink? I didn't until this year. Today, Mary's Sunday, the Sunday of joy. We are talking about despair. It's the third week of Advent. Christmas is still what is it? A week and a half from now, so forever from now, the presents are never coming. And in our metaphor, the child awaiting Christmas so eagerly is in despair. Waiting is hard work, and although our frustration and our impatience can be signs, can be indicators of good things to come. When those good things keep not coming, we find ourselves in the dark, alone. We trust that the future is God's, that the future is good, but we are going to have our hearts broken many times along the way. David White, who you may have never heard of if Mac hadn't just been reading from him this morning, call that the coordination of the spirit, or of NPR. I'm not sure. Wrote sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Today's message is a simple one. Even despair, like frustration and impatience, can point us towards God's path. That in the darkness and loneliness of despair, 
we become aware much more keenly of what matters, of what brings us alive, of what is not too small for us. In today's passage, John the Baptist is staring death in the face. He's been arrested by a king who hates him, and the only thing keeping him alive is his popularity. King Herod is scared that if he kills John, there'll be a public uproar. In prison, John is getting plenty of darkness and aloneness. And he's getting his priorities straight. He wonders, will you bring me alive, Jesus? Or are you too small for me? So he sends some followers to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait on another? John had recognized Jesus earlier in Matthew's gospel. In this very same storyline, Back in chapter 3, when Jesus goes to get baptized, John says, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. So now in chapter 11, what's with this fact-finding mission? John is finding clarity in prison. John is realizing that he needs to know more, that he needs to be a little bit more confident, that he needs to find out whether this Jesus character really can bear the weight of all his hopes. John's hope and Jesus's is in a turning point, a promised end to the current world and a start of the next one. Can Jesus carry those hopes to fruition? This, this doubt, this having recognized Jesus, but still not being sure that, that things are going to work out, is exactly where we are, is exactly where the church has been for the last 2019 years. A state of perpetual advent of already not yet. Self-professed Christians, we've recognized Christ, right? Just the way John the Baptist did back in chapter 3. But like John... In the darkness of despair, when we really think about our priorities, we still must ask, are you the one? As Brad mentioned last week, the holidays can be a really rough time for a lot of folks. While most people are bathed in the warmth of family and functional heating systems, gathered around the nourishment of scripture and high-calorie holiday snacks, there are many who feel the lack of that heat and that nourishment keenly. Many who, for all of the season's greetings, feel all that much more lonely. These people... I want us to imagine in the image of John the Baptist this morning. Wondering whether there could be an end to the darkness, whether there will be a way out of prison. Jesus leaves the determination of what, whether he's the one up to John's disciples. Report what you see me doing, he says. Doesn't give them an answer. 
These are the words that spoken not just by Jesus, but by the gospel writer as well. And so I believe it is faithful to take them as words addressed to us, to we who doubt, though we have recognized, who despair, even though we remember at some point we were filled with hope. Go and tell John what you hear and see, says Jesus, to those followers of John and to us. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me, who does not stumble. They ask him what they should report, and he says that they need to report the truth. He trusts them to be reasonable, open-eyed, sensible to what he is doing. They may have been hoping to hear, tell John the Baptist not to worry. I've got 10,000 armed Judeans ready to bust him out of prison just as soon as he says the word. That may, in fact, have been what they and even John were hoping for. But instead, Jesus gives no hint that he will directly assault the powers that rule over Judea, the, a king whose name is a byword for evil. But instead, Jesus references Psalm 146, which we read this morning. Giving sight to the blind, legs to the lame, clean, cleanliness to the leper, hearing to the deaf. John, Psalm 146 defines God by activity, by someone being someone who gets things done. God made heaven, earth, and sea, keeps faith, executes justice, gives food, sets free prisoners. God is active. Happy indeed are those whose hope is in the God of Jacob. Maybe Jesus learned all this in synagogue, that these were the signs of the true kingdom coming. These were the signs to point out to John's disciples in order to answer the question, are you the one? He probably read Psalm 146 a lot in synagogue, but I guarantee you before he heard it in synagogue, he heard it on his mother's lap. Mary, who sang the Magnificat, references these exact same lines, these exact same scriptures, and includes some others from Isaiah 35, which we also read today. And I really doubt that we would have the Magnificat written down word for word in our Gospels if she only sang it the one time after she heard from the angel Gabriel. I have to believe that that was a song Mary sang many times to her darling baby. And that these ideas of healing, of good news to the poor, downfall to the rich and powerful, were imbibed by Jesus right there alongside his mother's milk. But this action of God isn't just limited to grand world-altering miracles, the turning of society upside down. It also includes the small Life-giving miracles, the rising of the sun, the running of the deer, the bringing up of crops, 
in the darkness of despair, the miracles that become most salient to us, that stand out to us the most, might be grand miracles of God reordering the world around us. But many times they are much humbler things. Isaiah 35 says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Have you ever seen a desert blossom? You can't believe it's the same place. It's incredible. If it weren't for the mountain, I would be convinced that these photos were of completely different habitats. God's work for sure. Certainly not any more God's work than a stinkhorn fungus blossoming, but somehow the desert blooming in purple and white strikes a chord in the heart a little bit more fondly. This waiting that we are most torturously experiencing, this waiting that takes us beyond frustration, beyond impatience, can sometimes drag us down to the depths of despair. This waiting is something that can only lead us to setting our priorities straight. It is in the pit when we come to know ourselves the best, to know what we need from a God who is active, a God who gets things done. We still ask Jesus, are you the one or are we waiting on another? We still wonder, is Jesus sufficient to change this old rotten world? I want to say that, yes, indeed, even in the darkness of despair, there will come something, maybe just an opening flower, maybe a beautiful snowfall, maybe a world system rewritten, a society turned upside down. Report what you have seen and heard, says Jesus. Trust your senses. Trust your, what you truly need in your moment of desperation, and that will tell you whether or not I am the one. Actually listen. Don't just rely on your preconceptions or what somebody else tells you. Make your own judgment based on what you can plainly see Jesus doing. So, for example... I would like to hold out to you today that Jesus can be found in, indeed, the most unexpected places, like American pop culture. It's pretty tempting to judge American pop culture, especially if you're not the hugest fan of handguns or twerking, but <laughs> which are among the most popular things on the screen. But American pop culture is actually quite good at expressing unconditional love. 
You'd be really hard-pressed to watch the movies coming out for the last 50 years, listen to the music coming out for the last 50 years, and not be infected with, this, with at least the hint of what godly, unconditional, overwhelming love feels like. Take uh, the song All of Me by John Legend. Because all of me loves all of you, loves your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections. Give your all to me, I'll give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning, even when I lose I'm winning, because I give you all of me. Love song that could have been written just as easily by a Christian mystic in the second century addressing God and the Holy Spirit. This is, in fact, one of the great hobbies of many Christian writers throughout the centuries, is taking popular love songs and interpreting them as though they were composed by Christ addressing the soul or by the soul addressing Christ, starting with Song of Songs, which is most certainly the prime and most beautiful example of this. But it's more than that. The Christian idea of unconditional love is undoubtedly popular in Hollywood, pop music, all over the world. But Christ's unconditional love isn't the only place that we find him out there in the wild. Take this one, We Are Not Beautiful by Ed Sheeran. Beautiful people, drop-top designer clothes, front row at fashion shows, what do you do and who do you know inside the world of beautiful people. Champagne and rolled up notes, prenups and broken homes, surrounded but still alone. Let's leave the party. That's not who we are. We are not beautiful. Yeah, that's not who we are. Wouldn't have expected that one from a pop song. Unconditional love, maybe, but plain living and plain dress? I didn't see that one coming. I got to admit, that one blindsided me. We can despair of this world around us as it is. We can despair of all the the hurt, the callousness, the casual consumerism, everything. There is so much cause for despair. But don't let your despair just be. Don't let the darkness and the aloneness be the only thing that happens in that moment when you are brought low. Which, I mean, for as, no matter how much you love the holiday season, there's going to be some moment when you're brought low. Instead, recognize that despair is a time for clean, clear perspective. That at the bottom of a well, unless it's cloudy, you can actually see stars in the middle of the day. That the same Jesus who the world rejected is now unleashed on the world and will never stop cropping up, will never stop being his own special brand of popular. Still bringing healing, good news, and blessings. As seen by the ancient prophets, seen by John's disciples, and seen by the faithful in the church leading up to us here today. Remember John the Baptist, waiting in prison, asking 
whether Jesus can be the one, even though he's already officially recognized who Christ is. So too, our moments of despair bring clarity. And our And in that clarity, we put our trust in a God of activity. A God who is defined by getting done what we, at our most truly human core, need to see done. Happy indeed are those whose help is the God of Jacob.